courage. You know, a lot of people, for good reason, have been hiding a, a diagnosis, either as the diagnosed person or the loved one. And while there's reason for that, because there is still terrible discrimination, if we don't somehow get over that and through that by sharing our stories, it will never change. It will get worse. Our guest tonight is Tony Roberts, who shares his story of serious mental illness with us and tells us about his latest book called Hope for Troubled Minds, tributes to those with brain illnesses and their loved ones. Welcome to our podcast, Schizophrenia, Three Moms in the Trenches, from the place where schizophrenia and real life collide. East Coast, West Coast, Middle America. With Miriam Feldman, Mindy Greiling, and Randy Kay. Welcome this episode 80. Oh, yay. <laughs> Feels like so many now. This is, we're very, very excited because tonight's topic happens to be the title of the book that we're going to be talking about, Hope for Troubled Minds. Boy, that is what our whole podcast is about. Our guest, who you can see already if you're here on YouTube, is Tony Roberts, who has compiled, well, I'll let him tell you all about it, but this is a book that is now available on Amazon. And what is unique about it is that it is letters and poetry and song lyrics of love and hope. We've all heard, and Mindy and Mimi and I have told the difficult parts of our stories and our books and on this podcast, as well as the joys. And this book really focuses on hope and joy. I'm proud to have been one of the contributors as well. I think mine is the first one in there. But uh, unless there's anything to bring up, Mindy and Mimi, should we get right to it tonight? Let's go for it. I just, I have one one thing I would like to say, and maybe more another time, because I think uh, Tony wants to get to a game uh, bef before this program is over. But <laughs> I'll, just, I'll put a marker in here. I am so excited. I've occasionally reported in on our clubhouse that we're working on with our NAMI affiliate that I uh, have been working on for the past year and a half. We are now, we have money, seed money from our Department of Human Services. We have buy-in from all our county commissioners. We're now working on getting an advisory council that's diverse and not all white people represents the community of Ramsey County where I live. And we're going to the legislature for uh, medical assistance, which is Medicaid in Minnesota funding that will fund 70% of clubhouses that could be all around the state. And then we have um, several million dollars to seed other clubhouses. So we had a meeting yesterday and I'm just bursting my buttons with uh, pride and joy and hope. So this fits in. <gasps> That's Wonderful. amazing. I, and I love that's just so Midwest bursting my buttons. I don't think we, I, we've ever said that in New York. <laughs> I love it so much. And if you're wondering what Mindy is talking about, this is the International Clubhouse Movement. There is an episode on that. I don't have the number, but if you're watching on YouTube, you're seeing it on the screen right now, and I will put it in the show notes as well. And, you know, Mindy is a woman who legislatively gets things done as 
you will see in her book, which is Fix What You Can by Mindy Greiling. So this is a very exciting thing. And so check it out. Maybe you can do something in your community as well. My only update is that I have I have gotten a few chances to visit my son. If uh, you've been listening to the podcast, you know he has uh, been incarcerated for something he might not have even done. But we are very excited that jail diversion seems to be in his future. And I'm, I am I have made a goal for myself to think about best case scenario, not worst case scenario. So best case scenario, this will be the best thing that ever happened to him. And he will have, um, will start another period of recovery. That That is the hope. But I learned something. Today I learned uh, when you go to visit someone in jail, don't wear a hoodie. And if you do wear a hoodie and you want to take it off, don't wear just a skinny tank top underneath because they're going to send you down the street to Walgreens to buy a new T-shirt. So that is my <laughs> that is my <laughs> that is my tip. That is my tip. If you are visiting anyone in jail, it was in the rules and they were very nice about it. And they said, no, you have time. Just, you know, scoot down to Walgreens. Oh, and I got no. a $2.97 T-shirt. So anyway, um, <sighs> welcome. In case you're new to the podcast, we are three moms with three sons with schizophrenia. We've written three books and we are fierce advocates for our loved ones, as you probably are too, if you are listening to this podcast. And with us is our guest, Tony Roberts, who I met, I think, because you asked me to contribute to this anthology. I think so. And I'm delighted. I know Mindy has been to a black tie event with him. And Mimi, you've never met Tony, correct? No, but here we are. Hello. This here is we the are. honor. Thank you, Mimi. Good to meet you. So I'm going to read a bit of an introduction. and We're going to get right to it because we want to hear all about this book and, and about you. So I am reading from either your website or your Amazon biography. I'm not sure, but I, I love this. So I'm reading it. Tony is a man with an unquiet mind who delights in the one who delights in him. So we are talking about faith, uh, faith and spirituality. We had an episode last week where we covered some of these topics as well. He is diagnosed with rapid cycling bipolar disorder with psychotic features. I love how they call it features, like it's an extra edit. <laughs> with a, a lot of professional and spiritual help, he has published three books. One is called Delight and Disorder, Ministry Madness Mission. Another one is When Despair Meets Delight, Stories to Cultivate Hope for Those with Mental Illness. And this newest one is Hope for Troubled Minds, Tributes to Those with Brain Illnesses and Their Loved Ones. And contributors include me and also some of the friends of the podcast, Katie R. Dale, who was your associate editor as well, Jerry Clark, Laura Pogliano, Charlotte Collins, Leslie Carpenter, and Kevin Early Bird Early, and Catherine J. Rippy Hansen, who I don't think we've had on yet, but we keep planning to. So we call her a friend of the podcast. Welcome, Tony Roberts. Thank you, Randy, Mimi, and uh, <clears throat> I just went blank. Mindy. Mindy, uh, there you go. <laughs> yes. Um, <laughs> it's a pleasure to be with you. Um, in my uh, faith tradition, it's Advent, and uh, this first week of Advent leading up to Christmas is the candle of hope, and it's very appropriate to be discussing with you 
Um, our book, because this is really a collaborative effort, almost 100 people uh, submitted um, letters, songs, and um, um, poems, as you say. Um, my, my friend was looking through it and he was like, Tony, did you even write anything in here? Uh, <laughs> I, I do have a couple of token submissions, but this is a, yeah. a collaborative effort. It's wonderful. And I will say that because we are parents, a lot of our episodes, although we 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 have other episodes um, talking about spouses, people with partners with serious mental illness, we have had episodes interviewing our own daughters and we're planning another episode talking about siblings. But I'll just say in the table of contents, part one is letters, first mm-hmm. to the children, then to the parents then to the partners, and then a chapter of letters to God, self, and others. And so it it covers the gamut of loved ones, which I love. And then a part two of song lyrics and poetry. So I want to just begin with a brief version of your story before we get to the book. And a really good way to frame it, we found, is just to ask you before you tell us about you, what are the top three things you hope listeners will take away from your journey so far? Well, certainly hope itself is something I want to distill in what I've lived. Uh, I've been listening to your uh, Audible book, Randy, and, uh, you know, a while, um, you know, my diagnosis is bipolar with psychotic features, certainly some of the, the, the elements of uh, behavioral, if you will, although I hate that word, uh, but some of the- We, the, we do it uh, too. <laughs> some, <laughs> some of the ups and downs that I have gone through certainly can parallel my friends with schizophrenia. Um, I, uh, I want people to have hope, uh, to be able to have something to wake up to even if it's just to pick up the phone or, or the text and and reach out to someone who who can understand and empathize. Um, I found that in the community that you are very much a part of, uh, the parents of people with diagnoses, um, people with diagnoses who've been on hard times and they had legal issues. I've been fortunate uh, to, to not have legal issues, but um, I've, I've really skated on the edge. So hope is one thing. Um, I think um, also to, 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 to give the sense that you're not alone. I, I do like Nami's book, You're Not Alone. Mm-hmm. I, think, uh, I think that book was a very timely one. It I, I was already working on my book just just so they know I didn't steal the idea, but I, I, I was certainly inspired uh, by their effort and their uh, their uh, their stories. Uh, and then I think also the third thing, as you say, would be um, courage. Mm. You know, a lot of people, for good reason, have been hiding a a diagnosis either as the diagnosed person or the loved one 
And while there's reason for that, because there is still terrible discrimination, if we don't somehow get over that and through that by sharing our stories, it will never change. It will get worse. So I found one of the amazing things I found in this book, because I I started off, um, NAMI insisted that people be, they disclose their name. When I started my book, I was either or, you know, you could disclose your name or you could be anonymous. But I would say 90% of the people chose to disclose their name. Um, And those that didn't, they had good reason. But, you know, it was really amazing. And they, they shared this with their loved ones. And I mean, it was just a truly miraculous what impact this has. I loved it that um, people shared their names because that's kind of you mentioned that you don't like behavioral. We don't either. And I don't like it when when in this day and age, people don't use their names. I know, as you said, some people have really good reasons, but I'm just so inspired that 90 percent of the people actually put their names in there. I think that's such progress over the last 20, 30 years. Um, You mentioned that um, you know you were inspired by NAMI and their book. And then you dedicate the funding for this book to NAMI and two other organizations. Could you, you kind of talked about NAMI a little bit, but how did you choose the other two organizations? Well, Treatment Advocacy Center, I first became aware of, boy, it, it's been um, with DJ Jaffe, of course. Uh, and uh, while I haven't read Fuller uh, Tory's books, unfortunately, that's on my retirement list. Um, <laughs> I uh, not one of those. <laughs> I uh, will. Uh, uh, you know, I was inspired by DJ. I had a phone conversation with him, and he he connected me to people who are involved in TAC. I have personal history with loved ones with legis- you know, legal problems while they were going through an episode that NAMI helped individual, or well, NAMI helped in Treatment Advocacy Center. Um, So it really seemed like between the two, you know, NAMI having a goal of, in a very broad scale, uh, reducing stigma, you know, supporting research, and, you know, the conversation at the NAMI level can, happen so much broader than I could do or even to a, to an extent the treatment advocacy center but what treatment advocacy center is they're doing things I don't think NAMI's doing um and uh, I I support them very much and then, and then we have the- Delight in Disorder Ministries. And so now we have had Treatment Advocacy Center people on our podcast. So please look for those episodes. And we have had at least a representative of NAMI, which, by the way, is National Alliance on Mental Illness. We have had a family to family person on to talk about that program. But we've uh, Delight in Disorder Ministries. Can you tell us a bit about that? That's yours, right? I, yeah, the, I'm the CEO. Katie Ardale is a, uh, uh, has been on the board. She She's now working uh, on projects like the associate editors. I 
hope, although she she has a blessing event, she probably wasn't even able to tell you, but her family is, is going to be doing some traveling. Uh, I won't give that away. But okay. then Kevin, Kevin Early Bird Early is uh, uh, our associate producer for our podcast, Revealing Voices. Um, and our mission is to, uh, let's see, the mission statement in a sentence is to in, in, inform and inspire those with brain illnesses and their loved ones. Um, and uh, so there is a faith component. The board is, you know, a faith component, but we aren't exclusive. Uh, you know, we, we, we hire people that, that don't represent our faith, you know, perspective. Uh, and certainly the book project, as you'll find out, has people uh, everywhere from, you know, the early writings to the letters that represent many faiths. Mimi, you want to grab a question? Well, I think before we talk about the book and what's in the book, I would really like to know a little bit about you personally. Sure. Your experiences with SMI. Absolutely. So um, I, I, I had a symptom of hearing voices at the earliest age of 13. Um, I was a, like the top scholar athlete in my high school. So uh, later psychiatrists told me that because, you know, I had the adrenaline burst and I, I had, you know, good physical discipline, my symptoms didn't get out of hand until I was 30. Uh, so that's rather unusual to, you know, first have, uh, you know, bipolar symptoms to address at age 30, but not unheard of. Um, when I was a pastor, I was a pastor for almost 20 years. Um, and um, while I was a pastor, I started having um, uh, depression which they treated first with a, um, you know, what was then a new generation antidepressant. Well, because my true diagnosis is bipolar, it sent me into a uh, five days and nights of not sleeping. Mm. Um, and I was seeing things, I was hearing things. I was laughing in the pulpit when, it, I was talking about sad things and I was crying when I was talking about happy things. Um, I went, I did self-admit, fortunately I, I was aware enough that I knew I was, you know, something was wrong and I got in to, voluntarily to a, uh, uh, a psych hospital uh, where I spent, this was back when you could actually stay a while. Uh, and, uh, I stayed three weeks uh, of treatment. Uh, and then after uh, later um, uh, getting out, I came back for three weeks. Uh, the one part of my story that, that, that's truly incredible, when I tell people they, they have a hard time believing me, but my church, which was still a, a rather small town, you know, conservative church embraced me. 
I felt the the need to tell them my diagnosis. This was 1995. Wonderful, wonderful. Yeah, and they embraced me. They gave me a paid leave of absence uh, and said, come back when you're ready. Um, They were advised well by my denomination, you know, um, I don't know if that's a familiar word, but the the larger church. And um, uh, I was just incredibly fortunate and blessed. Uh, Not many clergy members even today um, can say that they got support Mm -hmm. from within the church. And I know we had a minister, oh, we had a minister at my church who had some mental health problems as well. And we, he gave him a leave and we did embrace him and he came back And the very uh, Sunday that he was going to preach again for the first time, he wasn't able to. He couldn't face Mm. it. He went home and and now we have a different minister, the one who we had on an earlier program. My question for you is, since you had such a good experience with your congregation and your denomination, and you obviously are doing really well and have you know, I I can't imagine you're not an inspiration to others. And I'm wondering if you have a chance to mentor other ministers who have mental health issues, or even on a bigger scale, do you get to help with educating them? Because we've talked about how people go to their ministers, and their priests and their rabbis and their imams Mm -hmm. and so forth. But often they don't know uh, any more than the average person when if they haven't had some training. So do you get to do that? I do it on a an in, informal basis. You know, my um, I still receive uh, disability from my denomination, and you know, if if someone that uh, in, informally, because technically, you know, I don't work, so but informally, if I find out about someone with depression or or a, you know mental uh, brain illness. Uh, in fact, just today, right before I got on, a friend of mine who, who's retiring from ministry after 30-some years, and he's going into writing, um, sent me something he wrote about a terrible depression that is weighing on him, um, partly because of the season. You know, he's suffered losses, and this season can bring out you know, the people that we've lost. Um, and also because he's um, coming around to the last, you know, the last rodeo <laughs> on, on his uh, his ministry uh, so- cycle. So, yeah. In, in terms, thank you. In terms of your story, and I know because I see you on Facebook and we've been corresponding with with my contribution to this book, but you're not out of the woods all the time. You have you you are very open. So I'm not saying anything you don't say on Facebook about hey, I'm going into the hospital again for a few days. And uh, so, can you share a little bit about what recover? And I, you know, I know you don't have schizophrenia, but you have a serious mental illness. You have an SM. You qualify. You have psychotic features. <laughs> so, uh, so can you share a little bit about your recovery? What it's like for you, and how much support really means to you? 
right now? Oh, it's so invaluable. And you're right. I mean, the last time I was inpatient was just uh, months ago, not, you know, not decades ago, just months ago. Um, you know, I still had an episode of mania where I woke, well, I, I didn't wake up. I, I hadn't been to bed. I took off at three in the morning with my emotional support animal and drove all the way to Washington, D.C. Um, you know, uh, just really outrageous things. Um, I am deliberately, that that's my word for the year of 2024. I always choose a, a word. And this year it is deliberate. And mm. I'm going to deliberately um, slow down, uh, deliberate on decisions with, I have a board of, of my nonprofit, um, and try to get, you know, have a, have a good year, uh, not exactly symptom-free because that's almost beyond my, my makeup, um, but at least uh, a, a stability so I'm not, I, I'm not going in the hospital again. You know, I don't have to change meds a lot. Uh, I, I have the, the opportunity to, um, I purchased a tiny house and uh, it's going to be uh, in uh, the Adirondacks on the property of my oldest daughter, son-in-law, and five grandchildren. Oh, <laughs> so, <my God. laughs> it's it's going to be a delight. Are there any yeah. letters from them to you in this book? No, they they um they write um and that's kind of, I'll 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 tip my hat that. One of my hopes in the in my next book is is like a children's book that we would write together, like questions children have about what mental illness looks like, brain illness, um, and and how that impacts uh, mm -hmm. family life. Um, so. But no, they didn't get it in in, in this book. Okay. <laughs> So. Um, I, I have one, I have to say, um, Randy said we're going to possibly read some favorite quotes, but I, knowing me as a former legislator, and I, I have to read um, Michelle Clark, who um, had this to say, and it's my, one of my favorite of the, I picked out four favorite passages, but this one, she's saying to my fellow me mental health advocates, she thanks them and telling their stories, and she says, I especially want to thank those of you who are in contact with legislators and actually helping fix the broken mental health system. So, Tony, I don't know if you know, but I was a legislator for 20 years. So that is music to my ears. You know, I yes. tell people all the time when they call me about, you know, what to do and they're trying to figure out the mental health system, I say, you have to call your county commissioner you have to call your state legislator. And often that is so foreign to people. They don't think of that or they're too beaten down to be able to mm. figure out who their people are. But the those elected officials pass out the money. I mean, nothing, we can't mm -hmm. fix our system. We can beat these public servants who are 
trying really hard, and believe me, I have, but um, it's the people at the higher ups that have to be advocated with. So that person, um, Michelle Clark, I just want to give a shout yeah, out. Yeah, she'll be she'll be great. I'll make sure she hears this. Thank you. Um, yeah, you know, locally here in Columbus, Indiana, where I live, there was essentially at the initiative of one mother, um, she lobbied, uh, you know, local law enforcement. We now have CIT training. She lobbied uh, the judges, and we now are getting a mental health court. Uh, oh, wow. You know, Columbus was chosen as the top NAMI, um, you know, uh, uh, affiliate, and she was chosen as the uh, uh, the top uh, volunteer. But it was more than just, you know, a, a tip of the cap. It was because they've been doing a whole lot. Yeah. And she attributes her beginning to an episode of our podcast that Leslie Carpenter was on. And Leslie oh, sharing, you know. That's I'm Leslie's sure we, bailiwick too, lobbying the Iowa legislature. Absolutely. With her with her cookies, her snickerdoodle cookies. Yeah. <laughs> so Mimi, what? So um the next step from my first question is so you managed to somehow handle symptoms and all of that and have the longest prodromal uh period I've ever heard of till you were 30. And then you realize and have this diagnosis. At what point did you start advocating for people with SMI? Did you step past being a consumer and then start advocating? How did that happen? Excellent question. Well, I feel that I felt led and I also got the support right away that I could do it right away. I was still a preacher in a pulpit um, and I would talk about my own story and people who had stopped coming to church because they either had issues themselves or they had loved ones that had issues and they did not feel welcome. Mm. Once the, once the preacher started saying, you know, I've got, um, bipolar depression, I think is what we called it back then, um, uh, you know, so through stories and through individual pastoral counseling that I did, I was, I was advocating, um, now that I've been, I've been on full disability, uh, since 2008 and, uh, I, I have more, uh, time or inclination or what it is but to write letters and to, you know, to, uh, uh, honestly, my biggest thing is praying for legislators and also the, the, uh, advocates. Um, you know, when I hear that there was an advocate not long ago who was having a really hard time, um, had a big event coming up and didn't really consider themselves a public speaker, um, and I wrote to, to this person and said, you know, I will pray for you. Is there any way, you know, I can pray in particular that would be helpful? So, did, that's did this powerful person, statement. Did this person end up 
being able to speak at this They did it. They spoke. They were uh, very, uh, uh, very uh, eloquent. Um, they, they they felt very uh, uplifted. I, I I want to go back a bit to what Pete Early said about your book. It's impossible to read this collection without a moist eye and overwhelming anger at the cruelty of brain diseases, exasperation at society's failure to help, and, and this is what I think makes your book unique in my mind, a deep admiration for the undaunted spirit of those who speak out and advocate for their fellow travelers on such a difficult path. So Mindy, I know that you read a particular passage that was talking about legislation, but did any are there any of these other passages that you marked that kind of brought a tear to your eye? Or I don't know, Mimi, I don't know if you've had a chance to read it yet or not. So if either of you can kind of point out anything that made you go, ah, while you're looking, I, I know that very often when someone we love gets diagnosed with a serious mental illness, which means we've had years of symptoms leading up to the diagnosis. We're so focused on what's wrong. We forget to think about what's right. And I remember when I first took NAMI's family to family course, and they did a unit on having more tools to help solve problems. Whenever anybody described an issue they wanted to solve, one of the first questions that were asked is, tell me about your loved one's strengths. And mm -hmm. people were like, no one ever asks me about my loved one's strengths. Mm -hmm. And it was so powerful. And so the love that in the excerpts that I read, the love and the admiration, like I look at my son and well, it's in the letter I wrote that and just like, he doesn't even know how brave he is. You know, he doesn't mm -hmm. even know he... He, he tries for a job that when he was 15, he said, oh, it's beneath me. You know, he will get any kind of work. He will try again. He falls down. He gets up again. Not always, but mm -hmm. there's so much to admire in his spirit, especially when he's stable and uh, as stable as we get right now on the current research. I admire him so much because he doesn't quit. And we don't get to talk about people's mm -hmm. strengths. And so that's something... Anything in the book like that or that that touched well, your heart, Mindy or me? For, for me, you know, and I I think I had to read this book in small doses because there were so many parts that brought a tear to my eye. But I didn't mark those passages because, you know, that's not me. I marked the ones where, <laughs> yes. And so, but, um, advocate, but, advocate. <laughs> but here's one that comes the closest. I have, I marked four passages. I've shared one. This one is uh, Bill, is it Bouton, Tony? B-O-U-T. I, I never spoke to him in person. I don't know. but B-O-U-T-I-N, Bill. Yeah. Anyway, he's saying, um, as someone who has dealt with developmental disability and mental illness my entire life, one thing I've learned, it is difficult to deal with people with whom one is uncomfortable it is very common to give preferential treatment to those who are like us and shy away from and even discriminate with other people. And that is why we have racism and hate groups and why some people form groups around a common cause. And here's what gets me. 
and why some people are always left out in the cold. People with severe mental illnesses often do not have the social or economic resources to form groups of solidarity as many other special interest groups. And I think that is so true. You know, people with serious mental illnesses aren't as apt themselves, and you're, I'm sure, an exception, Tony, but a lot of people do not advocate for themselves. And I think even more so with people with uh, schizophrenia who have severe social cognition issues. So then they are left out in the cold when the pies are being divided up and their needs are not met. So I that one, uh, I, I don't know if it gave me a tear, but it certainly uh, hit me in the heart. You know, I want to just briefly say, you know, the people I admire the most, people, you know, people have said they admire me and they admire the book, but the people I admire most are a friend of mine. I'm not going to say his first name, but he has really been battling what this bill mentioned, you know, some developmental and, uh, and brain illness issues since teenage years. And uh, he has still found a way in his 70s to give people rides. Uh, I'm going to choke up, but he gives yeah, people yeah. free rides. He goes oh. to Nami. You know, he, he's, he's out there in the front lines doing his best. And that, that's who I admire. That's so cool. Yeah, so you get choked up just like we do. I love it. I like it when men can show their emotions too. <laughs> can I just give one short and snappy another one? This is um, Tina Guthmiller, and she uh, says she's a person with bipolar disorder. She just spits it out in the very first line. And then she says later on, there is one rule for you and the kids. She's talking to her husband and the kids. And here it is. You can ask me if I've taken my meds and I can't get mad. <laughs> That's her rule. I, I just, I had to laugh at that one. I love it. <laughs> wow. So I, I was stuck. I pulled up the PDF of it and there were there were a few things that really struck me and i can just go there are letters to the children um you know to my beautiful son uh, the power of 3 my dearest adult daughter i mean just if i i have to move my camera to look at these so um <laughs> Your illness has helped. I'm just randomly reading things that pop up as I scroll. Your illness has helped me to become a more compassionate and non-judgmental person. I no longer take anything for granted and appreciate the small things in life. A sunny day, a moment that makes me laugh. A day without chaos is truly a blessing. And, you know, sometimes we don't, we wish we didn't have the mixed blessing, but we do, <laughs> you know, it is what it is, right? Um, this is from Jerry Clark, friend of the podcast, former guest to her dear son, Calvin, who has passed away, I think in 2019. Um, I wish you were still here to know how much your life matters to me and others who will benefit from the beautiful gifts you brought to this earth. You were my wonder boy. 
smart beyond belief and full of enthusiasm. You said, I love you with your soft, kind eyes. Change in your gaze was one of the ways I knew something was wrong. So these are beautiful, beautiful words. Yes. And I would I would say to that and others that, you know, there's certainly sadness involved. And like you say, you know, uh, people who have lost loved ones. But even even in that, there's a celebration of life. You know, there's a, a honoring uh, this loved one for the life they they lived. Uh, and that's a beautiful example. Hey. Mimi, anything? You've unmuted, so I think you want to say something. Um, no, I don't have anything specifically from the book. I just find all of this very moving, and it, it you know it resonates to things that we hear from a lot of our guests, and 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 we've often talked about it. The the gifts that, oh God knows, we would never have chosen to do it at the expense of our child's mental health the gifts that it's brought to us and how much better of human beings we are now because of that. And, um, and again, I'm, I'm with you in terms of being not proud, but impressed with my son and the good nature and good humor, even in how he deals with this. Um, not a lot of complaining, you know, and, and these kids suffer a lot. I mean, this is a disease that involves a lot of suffering and a lot of it we don't even know about. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think on some level they're way stronger than we are. <laughs> I bet yeah. you're proud too. That's beautiful. <laughs> I guess I'm proud. Beautiful. Yes, you are. Yeah. <laughs> It, it's it's true. And focusing on, again, we're so focused sometimes on what's wrong. We've, and and look, we're, we're doing okay. That we're like, oh, my son's in jail. So this, you know, life is not great, but he's still alive and he, there is hope. And I'm aware there are many, many other families who are in the crisis point where this seems far away that our loved one will ever settle down. So wherever you are in this process, we we all, including our guest, Tony, want to give as much hope as we can in that situation. That it's, I actually yeah. have a question I'd like to ask about um, that, that relates back to our last podcast, too, because I'm just so interested yes. in people, people of faith and people who are dealing in that world, uh, uh, their, their take about it, and especially you, because you're you know, you have psychosis and you are in that world. And, you know, we talked last week about the difference between hearing voices in a psychotic state and the fact that so often people who have have schizophrenia or have psychosis and do have auditory hallucinations, you know, there's a common theme there that it's God talking to them. You know, it's 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 not their dentist. You know what I mean? I mean, people sure. go... And so then the question becomes, is it God? <laughs> you know, right. I remember saying that right. to my husband once. It's like, you know, they say that it's always God. Boy, I hope it is. Maybe he's just yeah. on a higher level than I am or we are. But I'm just wondering your take on that and what the misconceptions might be of those within yeah. the church who, who, you know, there's such a crossover between SMI and spirituality. 
Yes. Yes. I would say, uh, you know, the word that comes to my mind is mysticism. You know, if you look back in history at the great mystics, Joan of Arc, um, yeah, I mean, there, there are tons in the Christian world, but also in the Jewish world and, and, and Muslim and, you know, other mystics, um, without the ability to diagnose backward to a historical figure, just reading their history or hagiography or whatever the, the term is, you could certainly see a lot of yourself in them if if you were someone with psychoses. I just happened, you know, I, I've been so blessed because from day one, they told me, you know, this is your diagnosis. Uh, you're going to have to take psychotropics the rest of your life. They're going to have an impact on you and you won't like it all the time. Uh, and you, they, they believe that I would have to stop being a pastor because of that confusion. Uh, this was the early medical community in 1995. Uh, they didn't think you could balance the two. Uh, I was able to continue 12 years in, as a pastor and still do ministry in my, my writing and in my nonprofit. But um, I did at an early stage have to tell myself, you know, when I hear voices, and I hear voices all the time, I'm hearing voices in my head right now, um, and it's like loud thoughts, and I just have to tell myself, you know, I, I'm not an expert on where these voices are coming from, and I have to go to the experts to see. So I talk to my, my psychiatrist, my therapist for the uh, you know, psychosis part of it. And I talked to my, uh, you know, uh, ministry supervisors to see if any of it could be an inkling from God. Um, but it's just, you know, that's just me. Someone with anosognosia or someone with a very powerful religious delusion, I don't see how they, how they sort it out. Yeah. A really, yeah. really good question. We are getting to our final, final minutes, and I wanted to make sure we asked you about the audio audio version that you are yes. planning for this book. So, what do you want to tell us about that, and then um, tell us where we can find the book and where we can find you, all that stuff. Yes. Well, things are looking good uh, forward up ahead. I'll start with the book. This book is available on Amazon. Um, you can get it, uh, in hardcover or Kindle. Um, and if you look up hope for troubled minds, uh, we'll probably put it in the show notes too, but my name is Tony Roberts. Um, also we are very eager to say that, uh, an audio recording of the book is, is in discussion. We are raising money. For, to do it well um, and to have in the, the next year, maybe a year from now, maybe around the holiday again, the audible version. And I think that's going to be very exciting. 
Awesome. Before we run out of time, I just have to give a shout out to one more little section. And I can't name the person because this is one of the sections that's anonymous. And I could see why this person was, because it sounds like it's a person that works in a group home. Um, but it's on pages 247 and 248, if anyone has the book. And I, it's a whole two pages, so I can't read it here now. But it's about what people who live in group homes deserve compared to what they're getting. And I found it to be very poignant it, from the type of cleanliness, the food, but even more so how some people are treated um, by other staff, obviously not this one who was sound to me like a wonderful staff person. Um, but that one really spoke to me. We're you know, I'm working on housing here in Minnesota and having more quality housing for people with serious mental illnesses and talking to a lot of families. And, you know, they're, it's all over the country, of course, where there just isn't appropriate housing. So that person really nailed the problem. And I'm yes. going to take it and use it with my housing group. So whoever wrote anonymous, if you have a key and know who that is, I, I actually that knew that person, so oh, okay. I will tell them anonymously. All right, please do. Listen. Please do. <laughs> well, Tony, thank you so much for joining us. The book is Hope for Troubled Minds. You'll find that on Amazon and the website, the Delight in Disorder Ministries. Is that what is your actual uh, website just Actually, delightindisorder.org delightindisorder.org. So you can unpack that title, which is very intriguing as it is <laughs> when you visit that website. If you purchase the book, any net proceeds are going to help NAMI, the Treatment Advocacy Center and the Delight and Disorder Ministries. So Tony, thank you for sharing your story and for gathering this marvelous anthology of hope. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. everyone. Hey, thanks for joining us for this episode of Schizophrenia, Three Moms in the Trenches with Randy Kay, Mindy Greiling, and Miriam Feldman. To get in touch with us or to learn more about our books, please visit our websites at miriam-feldman.com, mindygreiling.com, or randyk.com.